for the sermon this morning is the gospel reading that was just read, but also keeping in mind the incident of Cain murdering Abel and Cain's words when God approached him with his sin and how Cain avoided repentance. Also, too, St. Paul in our epistle, in verse 16, he says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today we are comforted, even as we hear St. Paul's words saying, No one came to my defense. Today we know and are comforted that Christ comes to our defense. Christ is our defense. He is our advocate because he has defeated our sins and he also is the judge eternal and he says not guilty. Now self-defense is a huge industry. YouTube, you see all the jujitsu places being built, judo, karate. As long as mankind has been around, self-defense has, well, self-defense has been an important tact to know. There's, as I mentioned, jujitsu, judo, krav maga, kung fu, wrestling, and who can forget good old reliable boxing. Practitioners of these martial arts spend countless hours and dollars perfecting their sport. In this practice, they also learn about their opponent. They go to the mat over and over. They are practitioners. Today, Jesus teaches us a parable that isn't so much about physical self-defense, but what about spiritual self-defense? When you walk onto the mat of life, when holiness and righteousness, the things of the spiritual life, when they come into play, when they stand in the other corner, what sort of techniques and styles of self-defense do you use? What is your self-defense against God's law that demands a perfect righteousness? Now, spiritual self-defense may not be something you think is something you engage in very often, but in our society, it's more prevalent than you might think. You, you see it especially at funerals. Even when a non-Christian or a quote-unquote non-spiritual person, when they die, they may not resort to self-defense, but everyone else does on their behalf. Jim, he was a good guy. He gave to charity. He was a successful entrepreneur. Well, he was just nice. When a person dies, there's almost a knee-jerk reaction by people to justify the deceased existence. To answer what seems to be an empty place left in our hearts and lives. Because we know that well, death is not good, and, well, we look and see that we really have no defense against death. When face-to-face -face with death, when stepping into the ring with God, what martial art will you use as self-defense? 
We see it with Cain when God approached him. When he, he came to him and accused him of his brother's murder, what did Cain say? I don't know. Is it my problem? Jesus teaches us that for the Christian, there is no spiritual self-defense. The Christian faithfully and gladly repents of their sins. They forsake all excuses. They drop all their defenses, all techniques, all attempts at saving ourselves before God are an exercise in futility. Confession, on the other hand, Confession is a throwing of oneself at the mercy of God as an expression of true repentance. Because not only do we know who we are, we know who our opponent is. It's not God, it's the devil. But we know that God in Christ Jesus is our defense. That he stands above our sins, he stands above our grave, and he says, I forgive you. You are victorious. We are students. We are practitioners of confession and repentance, not just because of who we are, but because of who God is. In fact, confession and repentance is an exercise of faith. Jesus teaches us that God is merciful. He is forgiving. He does not despise you because Jesus has taken away our sins. All your mistakes, all your swings and misses, all of your punches that maybe landed just how you wanted them to land, God even forgives you for those. He goes to the mat for you. All your fits of anger, all your raising up, getting your hackles up. In Christ's death on the cross, you've been forgiven. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to defend your sins because Jesus has taken them. So from our parable, we see a couple of things. First, from our reading, we see that both the Pharisee and the tax collector, both of them are going to God's house to pray. It's normal. It's regular. It's part of a healthy routine. When Jesus chased the money changers from the temple, he said, my father's house is a house of prayer. Prayer always takes place anywhere and everywhere the Christian is, but especially part of the discipline, part of the practice of being a Christian is coming to God's house to pray. God says through the psalmist, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. Again, come into his courts with thanksgiving and praise. Again, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The Pharisee and the tax collector are both going to God's house. No one could at least accuse them of never showing up. 
No one could lob the most basic charge of being a hypocrite. Both were willing to step into the ring, to come to the mat, to wrestle with their sin, to put the gloves on, to be where the rubber meets the road, to stand in the presence of God. This reminds us the importance of being in church in God's house. Two men went to the temple to pray. It was a normal exercise. It was part of a healthy routine as a practitioner of Christianity. But more to Jesus' point, when you pray, what do you say? When it comes to being in the presence of God, what do you do? What is your defense? Let us learn and pray that we are kept from pride and presumptuous sins. Let what we practice may be in our daily lives not become practice in the presence of God. Let it reverse. Let what we practice in the house of God be that which we practice every day of our lives. Because pride and presumptuous sins can become a regular practice without us even knowing. An unhealthy routine for your soul. The Pharisee enters the ring. He's ready to spar. He is ready to defend himself against God's law that says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What was the Pharisee's technique? Well, he sounds very Christian, doesn't he? He sounds very good. In fact, he, I think we would consider him an example of someone who we should follow. He followed the law. Listen to what he says. I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. He had a pretty good self-defense. And I think we'd all agree with him. Those things are very good. He has all the outward signs of being a good guy. His self-defense skills, they were sharp, they were honed, they were true. Then he makes his move, his final and his best self-defensive move. He redirects his opponent and he murders. I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector. There it is. Despite all the outward signs, he was a bad guy. He just didn't know it. Unbelief expresses itself in this way in all of our lives. Unbelief is always being worried about someone else's sins. Always being ready to count and keep track of the offender while we skate away clean. Jesus continues because next to the Pharisee, somebody else steps into the ring. The tax collector comes to the mat. The tax collector Rather than list the reasons why God should listen to him, 
the tax collector confesses. He is a practitioner of confession and repentance. This is a regular part of his life, and it shows. The tax collector knows that he has nothing to offer as a defense. He confesses his sin because he needs mercy. He has no defense. He drops his hands, takes off his gloves, and he bows at the feet of Christ. The point of the parable is not that the Pharisee is bad and the tax collector is good. The point of the parable is that all of us are bad, sinful. All of us are in need of a regular practice, not of self-defense, but that of receiving by faith. Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. Second, that we believe that God is merciful and forgives our sins. That's why we can step in the ring. That's why we can go to the mat. It's because somebody has already won for us. The point of the parable is that God provides a defense for all sinners in his son Jesus. That God speaks on your behalf when he sends his son to die. While self-defense is very important, I might even say paramount in our world, and you should know a thing or two, For the Christian, spiritual self-defense is certain death. Today, Jesus points out that receiving, that faith is a matter of divine defense, not self-defense. That God is not far away and gone. God is very active, and his word goes out forth from his house to you. To know that all the things you fight against in life, whether justified, whether it is true evil, we do fight, we do engage, but our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with the spiritual things of this life. And you've already won the victory. And all of the things that cause us so much strife, all the things we think that have defeated us or in the process of crushing us, in the end, God will show us that these were nothing but ways in which he grows your faith. We will look back and laugh and say, thanks be to God for all the struggles. It's hard now, yes. But in the end, God will show you he was your defense all along and he never left you. When you are disgusted, though, by others' sins and seem to forget that you yourself have betrayed God by your sins, who will be your defense? Who's going to speak on your behalf? When you disagree with someone else and it seems as if you are always the one in the right, do you even contemplate your life according to the Ten Commandments? Do you know the Ten Commandments? Do you raise your voice in self-defense? Are you always ready to accuse someone else? Or worse than all of this, are you sitting here in God's house listening to this parable and thinking of someone who, 
They could really hear this parable today, Pastor. As Nathan said to David, it is you. When you've been so offended by others' sins, you give thanks to God, you're not as bad as them. Who will be your defense? Jesus tells us in this parable that there is not one person who does not need a defense. Or as we say in football, defense. This is why when we come into God's house, our worship service is structured the way it is. We come in and we confess our sins. Oh, but pastor, it's rote. We say the same thing every Sunday. Self-defense, no? It's not my fault, pastor. It's old. I don't like it. Self-defense. We come to God's house to pray. We come to be found in the presence of God because we know we can confess because he will forgive. We learn the proper posture for coming into the presence of God. This today, it is a reality. We come into the presence of God, but it is also practice for when we do face God, when he calls us to Abraham's bosom and we stand before him. It's practice because we know that God will forgive, has forgiven us. And he will say to us, you, my dear child, are justified. We consider ourselves in relation to God's word. And when we do that, we realize we have no self-defense. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We have no voice. Let every tongue be silenced. We have no excuse. We bring nothing here before God except I, a poor, miserable sinner. Be merciful to me. And he is more than you know. God's not worried about self-preservation. He's not worried about distancing himself from you as a move of self-defense. But God is interested in defending and saving the hopeless. For standing in front of the defenseless and giving life to those who are dead. You see, Jesus had the best self-defense one could even dream of having. He never sinned. And yet... He did not run away from taking the sins of the world upon his back. The sins of the Pharisee, the sins of the tax collector, even your sins. He willingly and humbly submits himself, born of a lowly virgin and forsaken by all. No one stood by him. Even the Father gave him up. But he did not leave him. He rescued him. Jesus willingly takes your sins. We have something better than a defense against sins. Our sins are taken away. You see, Jesus didn't look at you and say, well, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not like her. He who knew no sin became our sin that we would be the righteousness of God. Jesus is God himself, but he doesn't use his divinity as a way to distance himself, to exalt himself. But because he is God, he uses his divinity to die for you, to be defenseless. Jesus placed himself before his father as defenseless. His life is given for you to be rescued, to be forgiven. Jesus' life is offered up. He takes your life. He takes your sin. He dies. 
but he's victorious. He needed no self-defense. He knew his father would come to his aid, and he did. Christ is your defense, even from yourself. He forgives you all the times that you'd rather not be humble but proud. Christ is your defense when you're disgusted by others but seem to forget you are just as bad. Christ Jesus is a sure defense. He was your defense. He stood for you. He, when he baptized you, he said, I will forgive this one. I will defend them from all harm and danger. When you remember that you are baptized, you remember that Jesus has made you his own. He has spoken up for you. He has given a word. He has brought you into his family, and he cannot lie. Your defense is that when you eat his body and blood, he is defending you. He is forgiving you. He is speaking in the sacraments on your behalf that you would hear the gospel promise. Go home, the one who is justified. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.